Hi, this is Brent White. It's Friday, January 26th, and this is devotional podcast number eight. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I bring you a new devotional on this channel, so please stay tuned. You're listening right now to the Beach Boys in their 1963 song, In My Room. This came from the album Surfer Girl originally, but I recorded it from their 1974 compilation album, Endless Summer, which reached number one on the Billboard album charts that year. Recently, I was reading a college football blog, and the readers of this blog were arguing in the comments section, as they often do, about my team, the direction of the program, the coaching staff, the institution. And one of the commenters referred by name to another commenter with whom he disagreed. I'll call him Jason. And he said the following. Last year, I remember that Jason said thus and so. But here's why he's been proven wrong. Well, this prompted Jason to come out of the woodwork and respond. He wrote... Thank you for letting me live rent-free in your head for the past year. (laughs) That was a pretty good put-down, I thought. Jason was saying in so many words, Yes, you may think I'm wrong, but whatever I said a year ago made such an impression on you that you've been thinking about it ever since, stewing over it, letting yourself be bothered by it or angered by it. Therefore, I win the argument. But it got me thinking about the people that I allow to live in my head rent-free. Who are they, and why do I give them such an exalted place of honor? And usually the people who live in my head are people I'm afraid of for some reason. For me, this is almost always in the professional realm. It's always related to my career. I'm often afraid of colleagues or supervisors or parishioners who I perceive don't like me. I'm afraid of how they might judge me, what they might say about me, how they might influence the opinions of others. I'm like Sally Field at the Academy Awards so many years ago. You like me. You really, really like me. See, I just want everybody to like me. (laughs) I know this is beyond silly. This is unchristian. My only concern in life should be to please my Lord and worry about how he judges me. But instead, I worry about others. There are, I know, a host of very interesting reasons, going back to my childhood, why why I struggle with this insecurity. My point is 
these are the people who I let live in my head. I wish I could say I was afraid of bad and powerful men like Kim Jong-un, but no, he rarely crosses my mind. The objects of my fear are much smaller and much more local. But it's not just people. I let things I worry about live there as well. I'm not saying that everyone is just like me. You probably let other kinds of people and other kinds of things live in your head. But I'm sure, like me, you do so out of fear. I want to I wanna challenge you to imagine that... We have an enemy who is working to stir up this fear in our heads. One of C.S. Lewis's masterpieces is The Screwtape Letters. It's an imagined correspondence between a demon named Screwtape, a well-seasoned tempter of humans, and his nephew Wormwood, a so-called junior tempter. We only get to read Screwtape's side of the correspondence, but, but we infer that Wormwood is seeking advice from his uncle on how to handle Wormwood's patient. You see, in the world of the book, each demon is assigned a, a human patient, more like a victim. And it's that demon's job to lead their victim away from God and away from salvation through Christ and toward hell. If their human ends up in hell, well, then that demon will be judged a success. In one of Screwtape's letters, he talks about how Wormwood can use his patient's fear to his advantage. In this case, his patient is worried about being called up for military service. The novel is set in World War II, Britain. It's uncertain whether the patient will be drafted, so he feels a mixture of anxiety and suspense. Screwtape writes the following. Your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. Remember, the enemy in this case is God, because it's the devil talking. (laughs) What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him, the present anxiety and suspense. It is about this that he is to say, Thy will be done, and for the daily task of bearing this that the daily bread will be provided. It is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only one of the things he is afraid of. Let him regard them, that is, the things he is afraid of, as his crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him, and let him try to practice fortitude and patience to them all in advance. For real resignation at the same moment to a dozen different and hypothetical fates is almost impossible, and the enemy does not greatly assist those who are trying to attain it. Resignation to present and actual suffering, even where that suffering consists of fear, is far easier and is usually helped by this direct action. Do you see Lewis's point? The devil tries to focus our minds on the things that we're afraid of, things that are waiting for us out there in the uncertain future where any number of fearful, undesirable things may happen to us or not. Because the future is unknowable. What we know for sure right now is that we're afraid. 
Therefore, what God wants us to focus on at this very moment is the fear itself. That fear should be the thing occupying our prayers. In other words, the anxiety that we're feeling right now as we think about hypothetical future outcomes is the problem, not the hypothetical outcomes that are making us anxious. You see what I mean? Or put it this way. The fear is the problem, not the thing that's making us afraid. This is clear from Jesus' teaching, too. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Matthew 6.34. Or, as the New Living Translation puts it, today's trouble is enough for today. This is also clear from the rest of Scripture, as Paul writes in Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see the practical wisdom here? What is making you unhappy today, right now, at this moment? It's probably some worst-case scenario that you fear will come to pass, not today, but at some point in the future, tomorrow, next week, next month. Pray first about the fear that you're experiencing right now. That fear is part of today's trouble for which the Lord tells us to pray. You don't yet know what tomorrow's trouble is until you get there, but today's trouble includes the fear that you're experiencing right now. Pray about it. Your fear, as Lewis said above, is your appointed cross for today, not the thing that you're afraid of out in the future. Because believe it or not, God doesn't want you to be worried about anything, ever. It's not God's will for you to be anxious. You'll find out whether it's God's will for you to ultimately face that thing that you're worried about when the time comes at which point you can count on God's giving you the grace you need to face it. But it's definitely not God's will for you to worry about it now. So, pray that God will take away this fear. Pray that God will take away this anxiety, this worry, and listen to God's word, especially what it has to say about fear and worry. Start with Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34.